Smartcast. You are listening to a Mint production brought to you by HD Smartcast. Welcome to the Investor Hour podcast. I'm your host Rahul Goel. The goal of this podcast is to learn from the best investment minds of our times. We want to learn their backstory, essentially what makes them them. We want to learn how they make their decisions in their personal lives, and of course. we want to learn about their core principles of investing essentially a lot of learning that could help you make better decisions in life and investing vivek call is an economist like no other when he talks about india's economy and the challenges we face it actually makes sense and today more than ever we need to get a clear understanding of what's happening around us that's what we talk to vivek this week above all we talk about his biggest concern and his focus on asset allocation so uh since november 2021 uh, october 2021 uh, november 2021 uh you know the world's entered a different phase it was as if we were gliding and we've entered a phase of turbulence and there's been a lot there've been lots of developments since then right uh you had the fed the federal reserve in the us uh uh changing stance or at least indicating they're going to change the stance uh there was a little bit of the omicron uh, uh variant that started to come up in november sometime october november sometime so there was a whole bunch of negatives if you will that came up and here we are today 5 6 7 months hence and uh, suddenly a lot of things look extremely gloomy uh one of the things that i've noticed when i'm meeting people and talking to people is that uh they're all talking terms uh and i'm not sure whether they understand truly the context in which they should be reviewing the data or the view and taking decisions uh so i you know my first and only point of call was uh, vivek uh, to uh, uh, so that i could get him on the podcast and talk to you and explain some of these things so over the course of the next one hour we're going to try uh, vivek is going to try and explain to you uh, various things which i'm going to put to him and uh, we'll do it in a way that is extremely easy to understand and hopefully actionable so this is a little bit of a detour from a typical investor hour uh so with that little bit of a background uh, uh vivek let's jump straight into this right I want you to start by telling us what's happening when it comes to inflation. So if you can start literally by what is inflation and uh, what are the misconceptions what are the conceptions and in layman's term how should people read it from a global perspective if you want and from an indian perspective. Okay. So inflation is the rate of price rise. So let's say if uh something costs 100 bucks as of today mm-hmm. and if one year down the line it's 110 rupees so then the rate of inflation is 10% yeah okay mm-hmm. the inflation that uh, you know keeps getting referred to in the media and by fund managers and analysts is basically uh, you know uh, the retail inflation mm-hmm. uh, which the governments of countries calculate and mm-hmm. then there is the wholesale price inflation as well which also you know some agency of the government calculates so that is what inflation is at uh, you know at, at a very uh, basic level 
Now, what has happened in uh, the last uh, few six, seven months is the fact that uh, inflation in the rich countries of the world. Now, rich mm. countries, uh, by that I mean uh, the US, Canada, mm. uh, a lot of countries in the European Euro area mm -hmm. and the United Kingdom and Australia, New Zealand uh, uh, also and Japan as well. Now, inflation in these countries, except uh, possibly for Japan, uh, in many of these countries is at a decadal, multi-decade uh, mm -hmm. high level. Uh, in the US, uh, the inflation in April was at uh, more than four decade high. In the UK, it was at a three decade high. Uh, in the Euro area, uh, it was at a two and a half decade high. Now, the Euro area, the interesting thing is the inflation uh, numbers are available only starting from January 1997 because, you know, that's the that's a point at which uh, yeah. Euro sort of became, started yeah. to become a reality. So, uh, so it's the highest in the Euro, Euro area ever. Now, uh, obviously, uh, the what what happened was that people who run these uh, central banks uh, thought that this inflation would be transitory, like mm. uh, our uh, you know Governor uh, Mr. Shakti Kanta Das as well. I mean, mm -hmm. uh, Mr. Das uh, called inflation transitory for the first time, I think, in December 2019. Mm -hmm. uh, we are now in May 2022. Inflation has been anything but transitory. The change, I think, uh, towards the outlook towards inflation happened at the point of time when uh, Jerome Powell's second term uh, mm -hmm. uh, was made official. So, I think the negotiations, I mean, I have no proof for this, yeah. but the negotiations that, you know, would have happened with the government, given that uh, Powell, Powell is a Republican uh, yeah, appointee yeah. and, you know, we mm -hmm. currently have a Democratic administration. Uh, I think during the negotiations, it was probably made clear to him that, you know, all this transitory stuff is now so, gone yeah. a little overboard. If, if you want to keep your chair. Huh. So, let's now, you know, okay. let's start talking that the inflation is here and inflation is here to stay. Now, uh, why does inflation happen? Okay. Uh, there is, uh, you know, if, if you talk to uh, economists, they'll mm. talk, you know, talk about it in, in a way where they would say that, there is the supply side inflation and there is the demand side inflation. The supply side inflation is when, uh, you know, the production of uh, various products falls, yeah. but the demand sort of uh, remains. So, there is a supply problem and for the market to adjust, the prices have to go up. The demand side inflation happens when uh, people have uh, more money in their hands and they have greater purchasing power and, you know, so they go out and buy mm -hmm. stuff. And because of that, because the supply cannot go up uh, as fast, as fast mm -hmm. so prices go up. Mm -hmm. Now, what happened uh, in the last few years are, you know, basically I think there is, uh, there is, there is a supply side uh, driven inflation and there is demand side driven inflation as well. Both things uh, have happened parallelly in the rich countries of the world. Now, uh, so if you, if you look at, uh, uh, you know, if, if you look at late 2019, mm -hmm. early 2020, when COVID uh, sort of started to spread, uh, one of the reactions uh, of the central banks of the rich world was that they started printing more money mm -hmm. and pumping it into the uh, financial system. Now, the idea uh, was obviously to pump more money into the financial system and drive down interest rates. Yeah. So, at lower interest rates, uh, people would borrow and spend more. And uh, corporates could also, you know, borrow and spend more. So, essentially, the idea was that the economy should not get into a recession or a 
depression. It should not jam up. Not you, jam need, up. you need liquidity right. moving around. Yeah. So this essentially, if if you look at it, uh, this has been the way the uh, central banks have uh, been operating for a while now. And especially in the aftermath of uh, the financial crisis of 2008, mm-hmm. you know, which uh, broke out in around the, around September 2008, uh, when uh, Lehman Brothers, the fourth largest investment bank on Wall Street, went bust. Yes. So that was the ready model that uh, central banks of the rich world had in their heads, mm-hmm. and which is what they did. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, so when so uh, so when you know. Uh, Money printing happened in 2008. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of uh, you know people, and I mean, I was one among them, uh, sort of st- shouted from the rooftops that now we'll have inflation. Yeah. Because obviously, you know, uh, we essentially followed the simplistic model of inflation, where uh, you know uh, there is a lot of money which has been printed and pumped into the financial system, and that money is chasing uh, you know the same amount of goods and services. Because of that, prices go up and there is inflation. But that did not happen. Mm-hmm. And there was a reason for it. The reason for it was very uh, simple. Uh, it was the fact that, that the money that was printed wasn't put out in the hands of people. right? So it was essentially used to uh, drive down interest rates. And at the same time, it was uh, used to rescue uh, mm-hmm. a lot of big global financial institutions which were in trouble. This time around, the change was that while uh, you know the the central bank uh, was printing money and pumping it into the financial system, the government, uh, the governments of the rich world were also spending a lot of uh, you know lot more money. Now it wasn't like central banks were printing money and handing it directly to the government, mm-hmm. but indirectly the process was yeah. like that yeah. because you know how does a central bank print money and pump it into the financial system. It basically buys bonds. Bonds, So when it buys bonds, it buys old bonds and it pays investors that money. Mm -hmm. And the investors can then use that money and buy fresh bonds. So it's essentially an indirect transaction, but it basically means the same thing. So the central banks of the rich world financed the governments of the rich world and the governments of the rich world then transferred a lot of this money directly into the hands of people. So basically, you know, debit cards loaded with money were issued. In some cases, uh, cash, you know, money was transferred directly into bank accounts and so on. So uh, this was one part. Okay. So the money in the account, in in effect, created demand from consumers. That is one part. At the same time, what had happened was that uh, the global supply chains broke yep. down, right? Mm-hmm. So a lot of products which uh, came, you know, move across borders. I mean, it's not like, you know, products, the intermediate goods also move across borders That's before right. they are finally assembled, right? So when this system broke down, so suddenly, you know, people had money in their hands, but the products which would, you know, probably come from a China or a Mexico yep. or, or India or any, any other country, uh, uh, we're not hitting the uh, the markets of the rich world. So th- there was a supply problem and there was a, uh, so there was supply-led uh, inflation and, and demand-led inflation. So both of these factors came together and uh, we had a decadal high inflation. Now, uh, obviously, uh, you know, the central banks were clearly caught napping because in their heads, they were still yeah. in 2008. So mm-hmm. That was the model they yeah. had. Ki, you know, we printed money in 2008 and we didn't have inflation. So there would be no inflation this time around as well. So which is why, you know, that there was this talk about yeah. inflation being 
transitory. Yeah. So this is the basic. Yeah. As basic. So as uh, so uh, I think that's a wonderful explanation of. Uh, uh, what has happened, what has transpired and I'll just sort of try and restate it once more so that it sort of uh, uh, you're all able to absorb it. There was two kinds of inflation. One was triggered because supply chains broke down and therefore there were lesser goods available for you to purchase. Uh, on the other hand, governments were writing checks and giving it to people in their bank accounts, go and spend the money because they wanted the economy to move and so same person with more money in the bank account means more demand. He is willing to buy more product. So here there is demands going up, supply is going down and there you have a problem where uh, which creates inflation because for the same amount of goods with more money you need to charge a higher price and that's what inflation is, the rate of change of price. Now uh, we are today in a situation where uh, if you ask a you know, uh, any of our viewers, uh, when they go to the market, when they go and buy vegetables, the prices are up, uh, quite significantly up. I, I, I don't know whether they are across the board up, but I, I hear from time to time that they are up. Yeah. So, in <clears throat> in fruits and vegetables, etc., there is not much of a supply chain effect, I would assume. Mm. In I guess in things like wheat, etc., where, where there is a global market, there is more of a impact. Mm. So for our viewers, just try and uh, just tell us sure. when, when they are shopping for their week, for their month well, and they are feeling the pressure, right. what's really happening? Okay. So there are a lot of uh, factors here. Uh, so, so, so we, you know, there was globally, uh, there was supply-led inflation and demand-led inflation, right? Now, yeah. these were two factors at work. Now, mm -hmm. the third factor that has uh, come in is the uh, Russian uh, attack, Russia's attack on Ukraine. Ukraine. Now, a lot of people don't realize that uh, Russia is a big exporter of commodities, mm -hmm. both uh, agriculture and uh, non-agriculture commodities. So, Russia is the biggest exporter of wheat. Ukraine is the fifth largest exporter of wheat. Okay. okay. Now, mm -hmm. uh, so in case of wheat, what happened was that India did not have a problem. You know, we, we uh, produce a lot of wheat on our own. The problem was that, uh, you know, we were so busy in uh, trying to tell the world that we have enough uh, wheat to uh, fulfill the global backlog that we forgot that uh, wholesale prices of wheat were growing in double digits from November on. Okay? okay. So clearly, you know, whoever was the, you know, the government guy who was in charge of this was not looking. So, uh, and this was happening because uh, the private market was buying up wheat in the, the the private traders were buying up wheat in the open market for exports mm -hmm. and this continued for uh, almost six months till the government woke up and uh, wow. banned wheat a uh, wheat export they didn't mm -hmm. ban so so that is one reason why wheat and atta prices have gone up they, they have started coming down i think in the next uh, month month and a half we'll see lower uh, prices of atta that is okay. uh, for sure okay. well, that's, that's one thing yeah. mm -hmm. the the second thing is uh, that uh, the uh, Russia is also the biggest exporter of fertilizers in the world and India is I think either the largest importer or the second largest importer, I am not uh, mm -hmm. sure right now. So clearly uh, when fertilizer prices go up uh, at some level, you know, even with the government subsidy and everything, uh, food prices will continue to remain mm -hmm. high. So that is the uh, second factor. The third factor is, uh, you know, we import a lot of uh, edible oils. Okay, so uh, 
so russia is the largest exporter of sunflower oil in the oh, world okay yeah. and uh, then we also import a lot of palm oil from uh, indonesia and uh, malaysia so palm oil is used in a lot of fmcg products mm-hmm. so uh, indonesia had ba- banned the export of palm oil which i think now has uh, you know been taken back so that has been pushing up uh, prices of uh, mm-hmm. edible oil products and a lot of uh, FMCG products. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm explaining this at a very, yeah. very broad, uh, yeah. simple mm-hmm. uh, level. That leaves us with coal. Mm-hmm. Now, coal. Uh, I think Russia is the third largest uh, exporter of coal in the world, and India has had a uh, uh, you know over the years uh, we have a very large geological reserve of coal. I mean, you know, there is a lot of coal underground. Mm-hmm. Somebody needs to dig that up, mm-hmm. and we are not digging up. enough coal i mean this is like you know i've been writing about it for 10 years now and every few years you know the same issue crops up and uh, and 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 the tragedy is that uh, what what happens is if you look at you know uh, i mean i had written a piece recently and i also realized it only while writing that piece when i looked at data the the production of coal in india is uh, the way it works is just uh, superb so what it hap- what happens is that in in the month of march mm-hmm. coal india produces by far the lowest production uh, coal during the entire year okay yes, before the summer uh-huh. <laughs> and then it starts you know and in monsoons also it's it's sort of subdued because most uh, you know our mines now are not underground mines but overground mines yeah. mm-hmm. uh, but after that it starts going up and in march it peaks mm-hmm. okay so uh, i you know i mean i i just couldn't get my head around to why would a system you know there is a system right mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so why would it produce like uh, and in some cases the the production in Ma, uh, in april is uh, in some cases i mean in in most cases over the last few years the production in april was 50 to 60% of that in march so i couldn't get my head around to why mm-hmm. something like this would happen so obviously there is a huge difference between what we consume and uh, mm-hmm. and uh, what we produce mm-hmm. which is met through imports, imports. so there yeah. are uh, dedicated power plants which use only imported coal now this year coal prices went through the mm-hmm. roof so a lot of these power plants shut down and uh, over and above that because the price of coal uh, went up so i i had looked at data uh, from april to february I, i haven't looked at march data so the uh, while the the import value of coal had doubled the import volume had fallen by some 5 5 6% wow so that is the dynamic that is so, the price more than double a little more than double yeah. okay so uh, once you take the uh, shrink in you know, a volume shrinkage into account so this has essentially led to a situation where many power plants uh, coal fired power mm-hmm. plants across india and there are i think 173 power plants for which uh, the data is available on a daily basis out of them uh, around uh, uh, you know around 195 to 100 at any given point of time over the last few weeks or maybe even 105 in some so on some days uh, uh, had a coal storage uh, stock of coal which was in uh, a critical situation so which is why there are power cuts all across uh, the country okay now what happens in case of uh, coal and power is is the fact that you know when when there is a wheat shortage wheat prices go up mm-hmm, okay mm-hmm. but when there is a coal shortage electricity electricity prices don't go up immediately i mean they go up with a lag, yeah. certain lag or mm-hmm. 
so which is why there is a uh, there is uh, not enough power being uh, produced so i think one thing that will surprise everyone is that uh, russia is really a very big contributor to the global supply chain so which chain is see what a lot of people don't realize is that you know russia is is the largest country in the world right yeah but by landmass by landmass land but by yeah. population they are same 11th or 10th or something like that right so obviously they produce they have you know more resources than they can possibly consume, consume yeah. so which is why they export a lot of uh, and uh, food and uh, other commodities yeah. so so we and, and somewhere in this mix is fuel because when the fuel prices go up everything goes up and so fuel also i mean yeah. russia is the second largest exporter uh, in the world after saudi arabia wow. so that hmm. impacts uh, prices everywhere Yeah, Russia is a very big contributor, and you know, and and the fact that many of these commodities are traded on financial exchanges. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. once that demand is also factored in, yeah. so that I think is the real uh, the speculative, killer. the speculative, the speculative, speculative demand yeah. essentially ends up, mm-hmm. uh, you know, creating a lot of problems uh, all across yeah. the world. Yeah. So before we move to the next uh, point, staying mm. on inflation. Mm. So you mentioned that you think wheat is going to, you know, even out in time to come. Yeah. Uh, are you seeing any other patterns which may give us hope or make us more cautious? So yeah, I mean so which is, you know, in in the last if if you think I think yesterday the government banned the or rather limited the uh, export of sugar okay. to 100 lakh tons. Mm-hmm. In fact, I just checked one, uh, you know, sugar uh, export data today morning. and uh, in 2021 22 uh, we exported a little over 100 lakh tons oh, so okay. that is the limit that has been set right. okay mm-hmm. and uh, i think cotton also something might happen uh, okay. sometime soon because cotton imports exports have also gone up uh, wow. dramatically so that is feeding into uh it's so like countries are rushing to yeah. safeguard their own resources so steel so that, i mean the duty yeah. export duty on steel is is yeah. to ensure that steel is available domestically yeah. at a reasonable yeah uh, we saw the ad in the paper the full page ad from the uh, the association make, which makes the roads and the bridges yeah. <laughs> thanking the government <laughs> yeah because yeah. it's it's you know price it so see that's the thing you know the thing with inflation is that uh it is linked in so many different ways yeah, that yeah. the human mind cannot possibly conceive everything in at yeah. once yeah so and the, the one thing that you mentioned right at the beginning is the rate of change so i think this is what some people uh, uh, miss yeah so basically that, what they don't a lot yeah. of people don't realize in you know in and in general conversation it's and it's like my grandfather used to uh, you know uh, always ask me ki uh inflation is coming down but prices are still going up <laughs> i said yeah that's because inflation is the you know the rate of change. rate yeah. of change so yeah. prices are going up at a slower rate slower. that does not yeah. mean prices are not going up so which is so that is the jargon for that is disinflation where the prices are rising at a yeah slower rate so that uh, many people don't seem to get yeah so. and and one thing which i want to make a note of that uh, please don't extrapolate the same rate of inflation next year because the base is higher yeah. so if prices went up by from 100 to 110 this year it's 10% inflation but if next year they went from 110 to 120 it's, 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 it's less than 10% yeah. so there's a base effect so don't extrapolate that so uh, so on the base effect yeah. let me give you a mm-hmm. nice example 
So the wholesale price inflation okay, mm -hmm. uh, uh, has been growing uh, at a rate of greater than 10% from April 2021. Okay? Okay. So many of these economists kept saying base effect, base effect, base effect. Mm -hmm. Till the wholesale price inflation in April 2022 grew by 15%. Wow. Then there was no base base effect because yeah. April 2021 also, the also had it had grown by 10%. Yeah. Wow. So, see, these yeah. are, uh, so you have to be very careful. How you do this. <laughs> and, and it tells you the extent of the, if on a higher base, you get a higher increase, yeah. it's a double whammy. Yeah? Yeah. It's a big Also, whammy, at yeah? times what happens is that, now let's say instead of 15% uh, uh, inflation, let's say WPI inflation in April had grown by 8%. Okay? Mm -hmm. Now, you know, many people would have said that, yeah, inflation has come down, this, that. But ultimately, the prices uh, are uh, almost 20% high in comparison to two years earlier. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. just, so, you know, a, a, a lower rate of inflation on a higher base mm -hmm. can lead to a higher, very high price. Yeah. So that also has to be kept in mind. So, uh, this, uh, I, I hope our viewers are understanding. I, I'm sorry if it's a little technical, but I hope you're able to absorb a lot of what we are discussing is very critical in your day-to-day -day lives. Uh, a manifestation, in some senses, of inflation is higher interest rates. The RBI governor the other day mm. surprised everyone by calling an impromptu meeting oh. and announcing a, was it a 40 basis yeah. points? 40 basis points is like 0.4% hike in rate of uh, interest and truth be told i have an emi and uh, my home loan company sent an email the next day saying your <laughs> rate of interest well. is going up so talk to us a little bit about uh, the impact that inflation is having on interest rates how mm -hmm. does that work and how does that translate to uh, to individuals like you know the viewers and us right. so first things first rahul uh, you know, uh, the RBI has something known as a Monetary Policy Committee. Mm -hmm. So, there are six members of uh, the Monetary Policy Committee and uh, they decide on whether the interest rates have to be, you know, increased or, or, mm -hmm. or decreased or, you know, uh, or they stay where they are. So, the, the Monetary Policy Committee had met in April, early mm -hmm. April and they didn't do anything about the interest rates. And suddenly they woke up uh, in early May uh, to increase the interest rates by 40 basis points. Now, I mean, something, this is something I've been thinking about and I don't have a straight, I mean, any answer for it that I don't see, you know, how the situation in May was any different from uh, where yeah. it was in April, right? Mm -hmm. uh, I can give the uh, RBI the benefit of doubt uh, on, uh, you know, Russia attacking uh, uh, Ukraine, uh, changing things uh, in, in the global scenario. But then Russia also, at, you know, attacked uh, Ukraine uh, on February 24th. Right. And April 4th was 40 days after February 24th. Mm -hmm. And May, early May, I think May 4th, he raised, uh, it's May 4th, May 6th. Yeah, yeah. So okay. that was almost 70 days later. Mm -hmm. So I don't know what they were doing in that, uh, you know, whatever points were valid on May, uh, mm -hmm. you know, 4th or May 6th were also valid on February 24th. So clearly they, uh, mm -hmm. they were late in raising interest rates. Now, uh, so typically, you know, how uh, interest rates, uh, sort of have an impact on inflation is the fact that, uh, you know, when you, uh, when, when you have uh, low interest rates. Uh, first explain us the other thing, huh. how inflation manifests in interest rates, like how the interest rates start to go up mm. because of inflation. Ha, so, which yeah. is what, ha? so basically, yeah. which I, mean, I was basically saying that only. Ha. Mm. So, when, you know, when the, when, when inflation is on the higher side, mm -hmm. right, you need to uh, bring it down. Mm -hmm. Now, the 
the only way RBI or any central bank can yeah. control inflation is by controlling consumer demand. Right? And the only way to control consumer demand or rather one way to control consumer demand is to increase interest rates. Because, you know, the conventional theory goes that at higher interest rates, people uh, are likely to borrow less and at lower interest rates, people are likely to borrow more. So, that is so that is why uh, central banks, uh, you know, start raising interest rates mm -hmm. when inflationary expectations are high. Okay. Yeah. Now, you might argue in this case that, uh, you know, a lot of this inflation is uh, supply side driven, mm -hmm. uh, which is which is true. Uh, but you also need to take into account uh, the supply side driven and which is why the RBI cannot do much to control inflation, which is a fair point. But what you also need to take into account is the fact that and, and I mean, I haven't seen any central bank uh, talk about this at all and including the Indian central bank. And, in, you know, in, in the Indian case mm -hmm. uh, and even in the Chinese case, uh, you know, a lot of savings are in the form of deposits. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. So the rate of interest on your deposit has an impact on consumption. Okay. So, if the rate of interest on your deposit, like, you know, for a very long period of time, this, uh, you know, uh, last year and, and this year, rate of interest on deposits was 5% or even lower, in fact, 4.5 yep. 4, 4. Mm. to 5% and inflation was 6%, right? So, uh, you know, what are you doing basically? You are essentially, uh, you know, you are in a situation where the purchasing power in the hands of people mm. is coming down. Now, a people, you know, a lot of people live off their income from their deposits. So, if that if if that income stays the same and your rate of inflation goes up, so obviously the consumption will mm -hmm. come down, right? And uh, and then there are people who are saving uh, for the future using deposits. So, uh, if they have to sort of, if inflation is higher, mm -hmm. so if, you know, if, if they have to sort of save the same amount in real terms, they need to save more in nominal terms, right? Yeah. So, once you, you know, take all these factors into account, uh, when the, when inflation is likely to go up, the uh, central bank needs to start raising rates. The other thing uh, that we haven't talked about and we need to talk about what happened in the last two years was, uh, and this is not just in India, but all across the world, the rate of interest uh, on, you know, government bonds, on uh, government schemes, on mm -hmm. fixed deposit, basically the fixed income investment part was lower than the rate of inflation. Okay? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And this pushed a lot of money into stocks, sure. cryptos yeah. and real estate. Not in India, real estate was not, you know, not, not in India, in, not in the Indian case, but all across the world. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, what does what did that do? I mean, we have seen in the last few weeks. I mean, people who uh, essentially, you know, all the crypto bros who had uh, who would sort of I make the term crypto bros. <laughs> they, they are called crypto bros. Okay. Huh? Who who would uh, you know? Every time I said, don't forget your fixed deposits, they would come back saying, have fun, stay poor. Yeah. yeah. So uh, so they now we know who's poor. So because you know, uh, as the old cliche goes. A return of capital is more important than return on, on capital. capital. So, because of, and this is all linked to your interest rates being lower to the rate of inflation. So, there has been a lot of uh, wealth destruction, mm -hmm. which could have possibly been avoided. Yeah. The second point here is that, uh, you know, uh, real estate now, you know, across uh, uh, a lot of large cities across the rich world, is at such high levels that the younger, you know, the millennial crowd, the uh, 
the Zoomers, mm-hmm. uh, they uh, are not in a position to buy homes. I mean, uh, be it New Zealand, be it Australia, mm-hmm. United Kingdom, uh, US, the, the the bigger cities, not the yeah. not not the Midwest or the rust, you know, the rust belt. Uh, so that has, you know, that uh, that essentially feeds into mm-hmm. inequality, and this is all in a way linked uh, to the fact that uh, the central banks look at monetary policy in in a very insular, uh, very limited uh, mm-hmm. sort of uh, way. So this is how the entire thing uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. comes together. Yeah. So now that interest rates are going up. See, uh, I know you had done this. Uh, I remember reading a piece uh, mm. that uh, if interest rates have gone up, let's say by zero point four percent or zero point five, the impact, <laughs> I, I, I'll give you that the impact on the EMI is like yeah. So this is like years. you know, this is an example I give everywhere, mm-hmm. and a lot of people are surprised. So uh, let's say you want to buy a car, mm-hmm. and yeah. you take a car loan of you want to buy a small car. Mm-hmm. Not one of these expensive uh, gas guzzlers. Mm-hmm. So you want to buy a s- small car, and you buy you take a loan of five lakhs or six lakhs or whatever, yeah. to be repaid over a, over a period of four to five years, uh, at an interest rate of ten percent. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If that interest rate gets lowered to nine percent, mm-hmm. the EMI falls by hundred rupees. I mean, you can do the math. Yeah, I'm not oh, being yeah. exact here, but yeah. So now you know I I'm not sure who. Is going to go buy a car because the EMI <laughs> is hundred rupees lower. So, yeah. so all this, you know, link that people talk yeah. about, uh, mm-hmm. you know, with such so much confidence yeah. that now, you know, because interest rates are going down, uh, consumption will pick up, and mm-hmm. I mean, I find that quite uh, honestly very very speakers, and uh, people essentially take on, uh, you know, buy a car or a two wheeler when they are sure that they are in a position to repay the EMI. Yeah. They are sure of their economic future. In fact, you can do the same math with uh, uh, home loan EMIs also. If I mean, the difference would be probably 3,000 bucks or 4,000 bucks or something like that. Now, I'm not sure that, you know, I mean, it may impact uh, some people, but yeah. if you're buying a ho- house of 70, 75 lakhs or you know, anywhere from 50 to a crore, which is what the range would be in any big city in India, what difference will it make right yeah, you, you yeah. would more you know you want to be sure about the fact that if the EMI is 35,000 bucks you are in a position to pay that 35,000 bucks and you should also be sure of the and you know if if that EMI were to go up by let's say two to three thousand rupees you should be in a position to pay that yeah, yeah, EMI. Yeah. so so yeah. I mean I think this entire link tends to be Overstated, and I mean, I'll give you another example mm-hmm. here. If if you look at two-wheeler sales, mm-hmm. two-wheeler sales in 2021-22 in India were uh, just a little more than two-wheeler sales in India in 2011-12. Mm-hmm. So we are at now, you know, uh, where we were one decade back, and wow. this is yeah, and two, two-wheeler sales in 21-22 were lower than 2021. When in the month of April, mm-hmm. not one two-wheeler was sold all across India, and in the month of May also there was very there were limited sales because mm-hmm. there was a lockdown on, and in, but interest rates are lower in 2021, 22. Yeah. So tell me, or look at uh, real estate. I mean, uh, you, you know when when interest rates were higher a few years back, more in, uh, homes were uh, sold than 
they were sold in the past couple of years so i i find this entire you know it's too convenient you know it's it's just that it it's a very easy explanation to yeah i think what i think is more like a is the word psychosomatic it's like it's it's a psychological point yeah, of view like, you know it's it's yeah. just it sounds good now that yeah. ha, it it does make an impact on the you know the the corporate pnl yeah that yeah. is one part of it but you know extending it to the retail side i mean i found, yeah. find that linkage quite uh, speakers yeah. yeah. to be honest so uh, there is inflation uh, it's causing all kinds of problems mm-hmm. but there may be a way forward which is less painful some things are easing off kind of easing off interest rates have started to go up uh, i don't know what's your call on how much they'll go up but probably the trend is they'll go up for at least a few quarters if not less or more uh how does this play out in terms of the economic prospects of india because that that yeah. is our jobs our compensation our businesses how how do you see that playing out so that is i think uh a broader topic uh, which has some linkage to interest rates but not much mm-hmm. i think that on that front uh, we we have not been doing well for a while now because simply because we haven't been creating enough uh, jobs yeah. mm-hmm. in fact there was this uh, status of india inequality report mm-hmm. i hope i'm getting the name right uh, which was released by dr bibek debroy uh, mm-hmm. recently who is on the prime minister's economic advisory council and as and and i'm i'm not quoting cmi data here i'm you know because people get irritated with that so uh, that report said that if you make uh, 25000 rupees a month mm-hmm. which is 3 lakh rupees a year mm-hmm. you're likely to be in the top 10% of india's uh, people who you know who are in yeah. the top 10% income okay. i buy that yeah that's, that's 3 lakh rupees a year yeah. okay yeah. so uh, so what does that tell you that that tells you that uh, and then you know there is this uh, national family health survey you know mm-hmm. that data was also released uh, some time back and and as per that data women in the age group of 15 to 49 okay mm-hmm. only one in four women work work as in all of them work but work to get paid they have a mm-hmm. paid job so you know if if you look at uh, the if you look at the history of what uh okay let me just uh, go a little off here and first talk about uh, the india growth story okay mm-hmm. then i'll connect yeah, everything yeah, sure. yeah. so what is the mm-hmm. india growth story mm-hmm. the india growth story is that there are a lot of indians and we will sell a lot of stuff to a lot of indians right like we so uh, uh, there's this gentleman called uh, dr pankaj himawat uh, who i had the pleasure of talking to around more than 10 years back and he gave me a very interesting analogy mm-hmm. which i call the campbell soup fallacy okay. campbell soup is one of the bigger uh, mm-hmm. companies consumer good company soup company in the us now campbell soup went to china mm-hmm. okay now china has a very well developed soup uh, drinking culture unlike us unlike indians where you know we have soup when we are ill mm-hmm. <laughs> whereas china has when the soup is a part of their yeah, daily yeah. meal Mm-hmm. so the campbell soup strategy in china as per mr gemawat was that there are a lot of chinese and we'll sell them soup <laughs> that's not the way it works <laughs> so uh, so similar thing uh, has happened with the india growth story okay mm-hmm. uh, where we have been told that there are 140 crore indians 
So we'll sell them a lot of stuff, and a lot of people have have fallen for it. Take yeah. Netflix, excellent example. Yeah, I agree. You know their uh, projections of higher numbers were based on doing more numbers in India, but I mean I had written a piece uh, recently wherein I you know in which I explained, and this was uh, even after they had cut their prices. So even at you know one forty nine or one ninety nine bucks a month, it works out to close to one forty nine. It works out to eighteen hundred rupees a year. Yeah. Uh, which is not a small amount because not you are not the only thing that the guy is paying for. That's right. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So a lot of these companies are now finding out that the limited, the so-called market is very, very, very small, limited. Yeah. You know, uh, recently uh, Nitin Kamath of Zero that did an excellent thread uh, mm-hmm. on Twitter, uh, and um, and it, and and this is how the thread was. So as of March, there are there were eight point nine seven crore DMAT accounts. Okay. Mm-hmm. Round it off to nine crores, hundred forty crore Indians. Hmm. So only six percent Indians have DMAT accounts, six point four percent. So if if we go to you know the uh, percentage of the developed world, which is twenty five percent, so there's a huge opportunity, hmm. right? Hmm. But the point is, as he cited, there are only there are less than three crore DMAT accounts, which have an investment of more than ten thousand rupees. So what does that tell you? That tells you that most Indians don't make enough money to be investing in stocks. Most Indians do not make enough money to be buying stuff which all these startups want to sell to sell, us. Yeah. Sell yeah. to us. So mm-hmm. that is a realization that is now set in over the last few weeks. But but yeah. this was obvious from from day one, right? So all this now, you know, along with this, there is the demographic dividend, right? Mm-hmm. The so-called demographic dividend. What is demographic dividend? Demographic dividend is essentially a, a phase in 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 the life of a nation where, for a period of three to four decades, your uh, or even more more than that, your 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 working age population grows at a faster rate than the overall population. Mm-hmm. So you know these guys essentially you know have jobs, they end up making more money, and then they you know consume and and you know that creates more jobs. Yep. And that's how the virtuous process is. Uh, supposed to work, mm-hmm. and it has happened in you know China, in 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 the US, in UK, Canada, large parts of the world. So we assumed it will happen to us also. So one of the most essential points in 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 the demographic dividend is that women have fewer kids yeah. because they get more educated, mm-hmm. and then because they have more time, because they have fewer kids, they go out and work. Yeah. If you look at you know as I as I just pointed out the na- the National Family Health Survey only one in four Indian women mm-hmm. work in the age of fifteen to forty nine. This is a very very you know high number. If you look at uh, Center for Monitoring Indian Economy, it is one in ten. Okay, so unless this anomaly is corrected, you know, we can keep talking about this is just startup is happening that yeah. is happening. Yeah, yeah. This is an anomaly that needs to be corrected, and it can only be corrected. If more jobs are are created, I mean, you can you know a lot of people explain this away by saying that uh, you know you want your women you know you want the women in family to work and and it's because the men are making more money the women are not working. I mean, we can come up with all kinds of rubbish as explanation. Yeah, but, but it is rubbish. You're right. It's rubbish <laughs> because I think uh, if you're talking of the demographic dividend, the uh, the typical go back to the land labor capital is the growth. The labor you know if if a family of four Let's say a couple and two kids. If one person is earning everything, and you know, and paying the bills, how much little is left to spend? On the other hand, if you have a double income right. family, then of course 
uh, what can rightly be argued is uh, child care. But I guess uh, like the necessity is the mother of all creation. It will come up. It will be, um, be available. If you are willing to pay a fair fee, yeah. there will be people who take care of your kids and all that. Yeah, but, I, but you're right. I think you've hit on a very sensitive but very true point that uh, for us to realize it, everyone has to participate in it in terms of contributing to building it. But we are really running the race with one hand tied to our back where the women are still not entering the workforce. The workforce. So that has to be... You know, that needs to be... Uh, so that's, different. I think what you're telling us is something very, very fundamental, which you have to get right if you want to get growth right. right. How do you tie this in with all the data that is coming in these days, be it from World Bank, IMF, everyone, which talks of India really killing it when it comes to growth? Uh-huh. Yeah. So, so uh-huh. here's the thing, you know, uh, mm-hmm. so uh, recently the government put out data mm-hmm. wherein they said that the tax collections this year uh, in in 2021-22 have grown by 34 mm-hmm. percent okay which is a huge uh, number yeah. even on a low base yeah. when the economy uh, was uh, the the nominal rate of growth was supposed to be 19 percent mm-hmm. okay now this nominal projection was made uh, b- before the war uh, in uh, Ukraine started so it will now probably grow at a lesser amount so basically you know the the economy will grow by around 15 percent. Whereas the tax collections have grown by 34%. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this is an anomaly. Okay. Now mm-hmm. the, the, the economists use a word called buoyancy. So the mm-hmm. buoyancy, buoyancy of tax collection is essentially rate of tax collection growth divided by the rate of economic growth. So mm-hmm. if 34% the economy has grown, sorry, tax collections have grown. And if uh, the nominal GDP is supposed to grow by 19%, your uh, buoyancy is 1.75. Which okay. means for every 1% economic growth, taxes grow by 1.75%. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Which will now, uh, I mean, given that uh, the, the nominal growth will be lower than what it has been projected, the buoyancy will be around 2 in my you know estimate. Mm-hmm. Now, what does, what does that tell you? It tells you that the tax collections are twice that of economic growth. I don't think this is a reason to be proud of. You know, obviously, there are some reasons, you know, some points there that the fact that uh, GST collections uh, have improved because mm-hmm. their processes have improved and uh, because they're catching people who are not, uh, who mm-hmm. are not paying all that, you know, you uh, very, very good on that front. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, what it tells you is that there is a certain section of the economy which is doing better than yeah. another section, right? Mm-hmm. So, what has happened in the last few years is that the uh, informal part of the economy has is is gradually being destroyed and that part is being taken over by the formal economy and that has also led to inflation okay okay so mm-hmm. when inflation goes up you know and this is one more reason for inflation mm-hmm. okay so mm-hmm. when inflation goes up obviously your tax collections uh, will also go up right mm-hmm. so the major reason gst collections have gone up is because uh, inflation, your WPI inflation last year was close to 12 to 13 percent. Uh, imported it. inflation, there is GST, you know, uh, on imports as well. So that is uh, also very, very high. So, so basically, you know, one section of the economy is doing well and that growth is not being uh, spread across. So, mm-hmm. which is why, uh, you know, uh, which is why economic growth is, uh, you know, going to be uh, uh, higher than many other countries, but it's it's not something which is being 
uh, spread across. So, so if I uh, understood uh, you right, uh, the some of the numbers that we are seeing, uh, GST all-time high, taxes doing very well, uh, the economic growth is going to be well, some of it is simply an impact of higher prices. Uh, the uh, tax part of it is an impact of higher, higher prices. prices. So, so you may not necessarily be better off. Yeah. It's just that price, a price rise has been pushed through and because the taxes are a function of the selling price, the collections are good. So it's like this, right? I mean, you, you know, as I said, I, I gave you the example of how uh, commodities, mm -hmm. while their import volume has fallen, their value has gone up. Yeah. So when the value has gone up, your GST yeah. collections will automatically go, go, go up. up. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a very simple so there is explanation. There is domestic inflation, there is imported inflation and both of them are feeding into higher GST collections. Okay. So it's not, I mean, so which is why, uh, you, you know, any, uh, any analyst mm -hmm. worth his salt should essentially normalize numbers yeah. before, uh, you know, talking about it. Yeah. What about, uh, so, uh, Okay, let me let me step back. Big mm. picture, mm. how does India look to you on a three, five, ten year kind of a? I think uh, we will be. Uh, I mean, I, I, you know, this is something I've said before. Also, I, uh, we will grow by five, six percent. I don't think that would be a problem because that is, you know, the 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 system is such that it will propel us uh, forward. So, just for the benefit of the listeners and the viewers, when you say five, six percent, it's Real. After removing Haan the effect the of price hike, yeah, yeah, of the course. actual growth that you will yeah, feel. Yes, yes. Yeah. So, 5% growth, uh, I think, should be okay. But any talk of 7, 8, 9% growth should be taken with a pinch of salt. I mean, we might see 20, 2021, 22, or even 22, 23, we might grow by a higher rate. But that is more because of all that we lost due yeah. to uh, the pandemic. Yeah. So, if you, in fact, RBI had uh, recently, uh, you know, they, they had uh, done a calculation in which they said that the loss of uh, uh, economic growth due mm -hmm. to COVID, you know, we'll make up for it only by around 2034 or it's wow. a very high wow. Uh, wow. number. Wow. In Scary. fact, even even mm -hmm. the uh, uh, the economic survey, uh, mm -hmm. not the one this year, the, the one uh, last year, uh, they had said something like 2025 or this is the growth that we have uh, foregone because of because you know yeah, ha, because yeah. of covid ha. so yeah. that is so that is also yeah. there so i think it's not a, i don't see uh, you know a basic uh, five problem with any 5 6% growth i mean i mean like a lot these days what happens is a lot of people uh, basically end up asking me is this is india the next sri lanka is India the next Pakistan, which I think is a very, you know, just because mm. one country is doing badly doesn't mean that we are, you know, we may not be, you know, there is a lot of things that are uh, that are not currently right uh, with the Indian economy, but that doesn't mean that we are as bad yeah. as the Sri Lankan economy or we are going that way or, yeah. so that is, so basically, you know, the, the one thing in, in, in the Sri Lankan case was that they took on a lot of foreign debt, mm -hmm. which they are now unable to repay, whereas, yeah. you know, we don't have... Chinese money, don't take Chinese money. No, no, we do take, thing. but only in equity. <laughs> only in equity, <laughs> which you can blow up like uh, what happened to Mr. Paytm Mall. Yeah, we can. Yeah, right? yeah, the yeah. guy, poor guy, I mean, Jack Ma got yeah. really rogered there. So. Got, he got rogered in China also, he got rogered here also. Uh, so, 5 to 6 percent growth. Uh, I remember and, build, and let me yeah. you know tell you one more thing. You know, if you look at the history of economic growth, mm -hmm. uh, very few countries have grown at even greater than 5% mm -hmm. for multiple decades. Okay, so you have uh, probably mm -hmm. this Taiwan, South Korea, uh, Malaysia, mm -hmm. uh, 
China. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I think there's probably and uh, Hong Kong or Singapore or you know one of mm-hmm. these small yep, yep. countries. Uh-huh. So very few countries. The history of economic growth. Very few countries have actually you know continuously grown at this. greater than five percent. So yeah. even five percent is not a bad. Uh, yeah. So uh, so uh, uh, what you're saying is now five to six percent is is not bad. It's you know I mean five percent is is good if without uh, you know I mean uh, in in our current state the state yeah. that we are in huh? yeah and we can uh, of course and uh, I guess uh, when you talk of uh, you know countries which try and aim for higher and they're running on empty like we had this whole Far East uh, blow up in the nineties they were all fueled by foreign debt and they didn't have uh, you know strong policies but and they you don't had, want to blow up like that yeah but they had already grown quite a lot by they then. had grown quite a lot it's yeah, not that yeah. they blew up before even after the blow up they're still better off than what they were anyways i i think india is fine with a more steady rate of growth and yeah, yeah for sure i think okay so uh, we've spoken inflation into all technical stuff we've spoken we've spoken about uh, uh, gdp etc now let's spend some time Talking about real estate. Sure. Now that's an area you spend a lot of time on. Uh, I b- I believe you were amongst the first people to call the top of the property market and tell people that boss, it's time to stop because things are not looking good. So take us back, whatever ten years I think it was, and explain to us what did you see in the property market that made you call the top. I mean, I think it, see what what happens is that. Uh, you know i was an outsider right i mean i was not i was not i was not invested in real estate and i was not a part of the real estate industry in any way and i was a freelancer so it wasn't like i was working for a media house which was so getting no real estate at all. At all. no so bias at all no yeah. so it was very actually it was very mm-hmm. simple in the sense that you know when you looked at so it was basically my father's real estate purchase which got this entire thing into my head mm-hmm. so he bought this uh, flat in you know delhi suburb of dwarka Mm-hmm. But twenty five, twenty six lakhs, two thousand two, two thousand three, some sometimes yeah. twenty years ago. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, by two thousand twelve, that property was going at some two crores. And I thought it was crazy because you know it's a place which is you know it had nothing, you know there was no uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know life there. It just had a connection to the metro. That's mm-hmm. it. it mm-hmm. The entire valuation was based on the fact that uh, metro. Ha, <laughs> metro hai ni. Aiga ni metro tha. It didn't even have, uh, you know, uh, direct water supply. The, the tankers would come. Wow! So mm-hmm. I was like, you know, this is absolutely crazy because uh, this is not the kind of money that people make, and mm-hmm. this was not even a posh area or anything, right? Or uh, if you looked at all these, you know, buildings that were being built across NCR and then uh, all across the country, I mean. who had you know it's indians don't make this kind of money because if if we did we wouldn't be a poor country yep. mm-hmm. you know another example a great example is central mumbai i mean where i live you know areas of pravadevi dadar lower parel uh, wadli mm-hmm. uh, mahim mm-hmm. there is a ghost city there bang in the middle of uh, the city but it's just that it is not visible because you know these are not small towers these are towers which yeah. go you know 40 50 60 floors Mm-hmm. So if you walk around uh, the evening, I mean, it's not as bad as it used to be now. Uh, most of the flats were empty, and th- this was like you know property five crores and ten crores, and you know thousands of flats which have been built and are uh, empty. So you see, you know, if if you look at a city like Bangalore, where there is genuine uh, real estate demand, you know, where people want to buy a home, employment generation, ha, and, and, it, are it, it, and it it happens. Yeah. Whereas 
uh, you know, in, in Mumbai, because everything is so expensive that, you know, and Mumbai is no longer a city which actually uh, attracts uh, people to start a new business. It's things are so, and that starts from the fact that real estate is expensive. expensive. So, yeah. you would rather be in Pune or in uh, Bengaluru or in Hyderabad or in, in any of these mm-hmm. uh, not so big cities. So, the basic thing is, and it's that argument still stays. I mean, the prices are still out of whack with uh, the kind of money that Indians make. So, like I said, if if you were to make 25,000 rupees a month, you would be in the top 10% of income earners in India. And at 25,000 rupees, the kind of EMI you would be able to pay uh, would be probably seven to 8,000 bucks a month. And, you know, you can imagine what kind of property you are not going to get anything for. Uh, you probably get a loan of 10 lakh rupees. What will you buy? So, yeah. the, the demand, I mean, if mm-hmm. if anyone can crack this, the demand for Indian real estate would be at price points which are uh, 20 lakhs, 25 lakhs. Yeah. That's the price point. So, there is, as you know, Professor, late Professor C.K. Prahlad uh, said, there is fortune at the bottom of the pyramid. And I think a lot of these, a lot of people in, the, in, in you know, now and in over the next couple of years will... Uh, realize that. I mean, they may not be able to do anything about it, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but they'll definitely uh, realize So, the that. trigger for you uh, to call the top was the experience of yeah, property I mean, it was, I, mean, I was not up. very interested in yeah. real estate in any way, but, you know, the point is when you go to Delhi, that's everything, everyone yeah. talks about, yeah. you know, property, Mira property. So, I think uh, the point you're making is so important because uh, you don't really need to be a formal economist or analyst. If you just looked around the world around you, some things just don't make sense. I mean, see, so it's it's like, you know, you know, so the, the other thing that happened was yeah. that I knew how to calculate EMI on Excel. Yeah. So, once yeah. you know that, so yeah. it's all, you know, you put in the numbers and you see that, you know, if, so it's, it's a very, you know, it's a very ballpark mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. Banks typically uh, give you uh, a loan, mm-hmm. uh, amount, the total amount of, of, of the loan, home loan they give you, is equivalent to around, uh, you know, uh, on which you can pay an EMI, which is around 35 to 40% of the money you make. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. For higher levels, it can go up also. Mm-hmm. So, let's say if, if you make, uh, you know, a lakh a month, mm-hmm. so the, 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 the EMI that they'll, you know, arrive at will be around 30 to 35,000 mm-hmm. rupees. Mm-hmm. So, in, on that you can do the calculation. So, even yeah. a lakh a month is not, not many Indians make that kind of yeah, money. Not all. I remember reading in, uh, uh, I hope I don't get this wrong, in Rama Bijapurkar's book probably seven, eight years ago that 98% of Indians make less than $2 per person per day. And that must have improved a little now. Yeah, that, and you know, the calculation is the same. In a household of four to six, it comes to like 20 to 30,000 rupees if you increase it a little by 20, 25% over the last 10 years. It's like, a, it's not like a... a a mass middle class. It's like a mass, uh, like uh, you know, lower middle class. Ha, there's no, know. there's no middle class in India. No, that, that's a, the middle class a is fallacy. a term which is very loosely used. And mm-hmm. uh, so, okay, so that's real estate. Uh, any view on real estate? You, you're still, you're still saying it's pricey. The real demand or the real. I mean, so now demand I've, supply. I have sort of match. revised my view a little in the sense that you know now I say that if. Someone really wants a house to live in, mm-hmm. he or she should buy one. Because there yeah. are other advantages of, uh, you know, owning a house. In, in the sense that, you know, your ch- if you have children, your yeah. children have a stable life. Uh, yeah. Your parents don't nag you. 
and uh, and then you know uh, you don't have to change ad address proof every two years, three yeah. years. So all those advantages <laughs> yeah. are, are are there of owning a house. Yeah. Yeah. But one shouldn't. Uh, I think investment still doesn't make sense. Yeah. And now uh, you know the, the buy for use. Yeah, and mm. the tax benefit is also all gone now. So it's not yeah, like. Yeah, yeah. So one of the reasons I think in the pandemic demand shot up is because in places like Maharashtra. They reduced the stamp duty by three yeah. percent. But the number of people buying the apartment no, went up by like three hundred percent. That was also there was another thing happening there. A lot of people who hadn't paid stamp duty were paying stamp duty. Yeah, yeah. and which was like uh, yeah. a big saving for many yeah. people. Yeah. It was not just yeah. just people buying the homes yeah. during that period. So. Yeah, that's an interesting point. Okay, uh, to your other favorite topic, mm -hmm. cryptos. Have you become any wiser on cryptos? No, I mean, what do you say? I mean, now we have... See, the one thing, uh, you know, uh, the crypto story which was sold was that it was very simple. You know, central banks are printing a lot of money. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, there's only so many Bitcoin that can be created. Mm -hmm. Right? What they did not tell you is that while there would be, there is an overall limit of 21 million Bitcoins. Bitcoins. Anyone can start a crypto, yeah. right? So there's no limit on the number, the number of, crypto, of cryptos. Right? <laughs> so that was, I found that quite funny because when I, once I start, started yeah. following that market, this was the first thought that came into my head. The second thing they didn't tell you was that, uh, you know, the governments up until now have the right to create money out of thin air and why would they, you know, pass it on to anyone else? Group so which of is private why, individuals. Which is why, yeah. they, you know, look at what has happened in India and the RBI has, is still not, yep. they're still going bang, yep. bang, bang. You know, okay. recently they talked about the fact that there is danger of dollarization, okay. which basically means that, uh, you know, if people start losing confidence in the rupee, it will become easier for them to move money out of yep. India. So, this okay. is something that governments all across the world uh, fear, you know, which is why China went after uh, yeah. all the crypto. So, my, my understanding on cryptos is that uh, one of the reasons the government, I, I won't say use the word panic, but jumped into action was because, uh, uh, visualize this, you go to an exchange in India, you buy cryptos, mm. when you buy the crypto, you can transfer it to any wallet. Yeah. You can transfer it to, uh, what's that wallet which is very popular, Exodus. Mm. It comes as a first search result, so that's why I'm quoting it. And you can transfer it to Exodus. Move money. Out. And someone in the US can transfer. So, you're effectively taking money out of the country without following the legitimate rules. So, which is... Why, which and is they said Hawala is started again yeah. and everything is started again indirectly. So, that is, uh, you know, uh, one thing which went against uh, crypto big time and, you know, which all these crypto bros yeah. did not... Yeah. Yeah. And, and also the, I mean, I think, I think that the, yeah. the, the, fine, the nail on, in, you know, they drove the final nail into their own coffin by advertising the way they did. Yeah, that did. was yeah. really sad. You know, till, yeah. until then it was this quiet thing which was happening. By advertising, they shot themselves in the foot because now the governments could see what, what, what was happening. Yeah. So, yeah. and I found it, you know, some of their advertising was outright, you know, uh, outrightly misleading, yeah. including stuff like crypto FD. Yeah. I mean, the the word FD has a certain meaning in the minds of people. That's right. In fact, I have a problem with even, uh, you know, cryptos being called currency. We should just call them cryptos. Crypto. Yeah. This currency has a certain meaning in the minds of people. So, it is, uh, you know, this is, this is like, uh, you know, insurance being sold as investment. It is a worse yeah, thing than that, worse in than fact. That. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Rather investment being sold as insurance, yeah. sorry, not insurance. having having heard what you said, so we know that you're not a you're not a crypto yeah. investor. Yeah, <laughs> I I did buy some crypto, some a Bitcoin zero point zero 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 
three zeros in something just to do a test. I mean, I downloaded yeah. one app one day. Yeah. But the process of re- registering, I just got. Well, I'm in a fix board, so I bought those zero 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 something cryptos. I had used a wallet to transfer money because my bank is not connected to the exchange, and now the wallet has been disabled. So good for you. <laughs> now my zero <laughs> the cryptos are going to stay there. They can't come back to me. So whatever it's worth. Uh, okay, so that's uh, that's crypto. That's short and sweet. How uh, looking at gold, silver, anything? Any gold? Views, any so thoughts? there is, you know, I always have some investment in gold at any point of time. Uh, has silver anything, has anything surprised you or disappointed you in the way gold has reacted to this inflationary? No, range? I mean, in the sense, see, uh, see, gold has also fallen. Mm-hmm. But you know, if you compare it uh, with the, the way cryptos have fallen or uh, with stocks have fallen, it's nothing. So, so it's there. I mean, I don't. Uh, gold is not an investment. I really. Uh, keep so, if we at. use this relatively short period of time, uh, last six months, gold has the gold is truly proven yeah. that it's a hedge. Yeah. Cryptos haven't. Cryptos haven't. In fact, yeah. the, the, what was the story behind crypto? That when yeah. inflation comes, cryptos will protect you. <laughs> yeah. Look there at you what go. kind of protection <laughs> they've offered. You know, it's. Fallen now, the price of Bitcoin is forty percent of what it was at yeah. its peak. Yeah. And you know, people here say that no, I bought at three thousand. You know, very good for you. But mm-hmm. the the general janta started talking about Bitcoin only once it crossed fifty thousand, and all the I- ads in the IPL yeah. and the Olympics yeah. when started Elon, to flood. Elon Musk bought yeah. at thirty thirty five thousand also. So some, this is yeah. this is the yeah. Okay, uh, what is worrying you the most these days? What what keeps you up at night? So to speak. No, no. I mean, these things don't keep me up at night. So not, no. not about cryptos. Uh, anything, anything that worries you. What you're seeing in the world, the economy, the stock market. My anything. big, my big worry uh, right now is uh, I mean, talking about the economy. See, uh, one thing that has that has uh, happened is that uh, the the central banks of the rich world have printed a lot of money, okay? mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and not just post COVID, but even before COVID. Mm-hmm. So, like, uh, let me get, get a little. Technical here, the balance sheet of the Federal Reserve of US uh, at the start of September 2008 was around 900 billion dollars. Okay. 900 billion dollars. That's less than a trillion dollars. Less than one trillion dollars. Then it started printing money and pumping it into the financial system. How did it do that? It was buying government bonds and it was buying mortgage-backed securities. Mm-hmm. So. Money was printed, mm. bonds were bought. So when bonds were bought, obviously the asset size started to go mm. up. The uh, in this first round, it uh, you know it peaked at around 4.5 trillion, somewhere I think in late 2014 or early 2015. I don't I don't remember. After that, it started shrinking and it went down to around 3.7 trillion. Mm-hmm. Then it started going up again. And I think at the start of 2020, it was again at 4.5 uh, trillion, or 4.5 trillion, or a little lower than that. I think it was 4.2 trillion or something like that. Okay, mm-hmm. it rose to around 9 trillion uh, mm-hmm. in the last two years. And now, uh, starting in June, they'll start. Uh, uh, basically, what they'll do is uh, the balance sheet will start contracting. How will it contract? The bonds which they had bought. Uh, they will mature. So when when a bond matures, the central bank gets the printed money back, back. and then it earlier what they were doing is uh, is when they got that money back, 
they would buy bonds yeah. again. So mm-hmm. now they'll not buy bonds again. So the balance sheet size will start shrinking. The similar thing will happen in the in the UK and even in mm. the European Union and uh, European Central Bank over a period of time. Uh, not the Bank of Japan uh, hasn't talked about this as of now. So what will happen is that you know the money in the system will start coming down mm-hmm. and interest rates will go up. Now you know if if you look at the history of uh, the US over the last uh, four decades, mm-hmm. a lot of economic so-called economic development has happened uh, by you know pushing real estate to lower levels, uh, pushing interest rates to lower level and encouraging people to borrow and spend. Mm -hmm. Because the conventional, you know, uh, economic growth, uh, which was led by manufacturing is not happening. Now, what happens is, is so so between June Mm -hmm. and May next year, the US Fed is supposed to be taking out a close to a trillion dollars out of the financial system. Mm -hmm. So the question is, when will they stop? And will, you know, will they sort of reverse this thing at uh, if we get into a slightly recessionary environment or the economic growth slows down? Because if you look at the history uh, over the last four decades, uh, not four decades, three and a half decades uh, since uh, basically when Alan Greenspan became the Fed Reserve uh, Chairman in uh, Mm -hmm. 1988, at any sign of economic trouble, Fed has cut interest rates. So, if the Fed cuts interest rates all over again, you know, then we'll see these bubbles again, again, all over again. So, it's a very, uh, you know, it's a very tricky uh, scenario uh, to be in, which is Mm -hmm. why I, I, you know, at the risk of sounding very, very cliched, uh, asset allocation is very, very important. It is, in fact, I think, you know, what happens is all of us, uh, a lot of us get caught in in all the noise around Mm -hmm. investing. Mm -hmm. Whereas this is the most simple point which needs to be followed. Have money spread across different asset classes. Uh, In what proportions? That is something that you need to be able to figure out. Because, you know, all of us have a certain amount of uh, uh, capability to take on a certain amount of risk. Your risk taking ability is much different from mine. Mm-hmm. Or from, you know, the guy who's recording us here. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so that is something I think a lot of people don't think about investing in, 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 in these terms. Yeah. They are just like, Achha, kya chal hai? what is going up? Yeah. Abhi ghar le le, abhi gold le le. And the media also feeds into uh, this. The, a lot of investment experts feed into this. Uh, so you have to basically be, you know, at any like, you know, if, if you look at uh, the last two years, uh, a lot of what what has happened is that uh, a lot of uh, so-called experts have uh, propped up from the social media. So if you look at young guys, you know, a lot of them are in their twenties, mm-hmm. in their early thirties, and a lot of, and they have huge followings. And some of them, you know, they say stuff like uh, FDs are useless. Mm-hmm. Why are FDs useless? Because FD rate is five percent, inflation is seven percent. So I think, you know, you have to, you know, when, you know, obviously when you do FDs at this point of time, you will, uh, in, in, in one way, you are losing money on it. Yes, yeah. That is a no-brainer. One understands that. But your capital is protected. No, it's not like you have all your money in Bitcoin and now suddenly one lakh is down to 40,000. Yeah. So the, the social media guys don't understand the co- uh, concept of return of capital is more important, important than, than return, return on capital. So this is, I, I mean, I mm. find it amazing. And yeah. you have these, you know, 19, 20 year olds 
trying yeah. to give you gyan so see the thing is you know you have to be people who haven't seen a bear market it yeah. is very difficult for them to imagine a bear market yeah now a normal guy you know who has a family to feed and and there are 20 things on his head uh, can't possibly follow everything so it right. is, so which is why it is very very important to follow asset allocation if you want to do stocks do stocks few good stocks do a mutual fund if you don't have the time to figure out a mutual fund do an index fund yeah right buy some gold have some money in fds buy a term insurance policy have health insurance yeah, yeah. and if you have money buy real estate yeah. in fact in investing in its at its you know very basic level is very very simple it is just that we have this our need for excitement mm-hmm. makes it complicated yeah. cocktail party talk yeah and uh, yeah cocktail party talk is is one part of it yeah. and 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 the fact that you know you get you know the adrenaline just goes and you know what has happened in 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 the last 2 years is the fact that because prices have gone up and they have gone up because they have gone up right, right. so a lot of people have taken that as uh, their personal expertise <laughs> which is <laughs> that's the most dangerous right yeah, which yeah. is very so that yeah. is it will take time for uh, uh, something like that to unravel in fact there was this video going around recently and i think i should talk about it so one of these young chaps mm-hmm. had this uh, 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 sort of sheet open Mm-hmm. and uh, and you know as usual like a lot of these media social media gurus talked very very confidently so he said india mein to sabka sab logo ka 15 se 20 lakh rupaye ka ghar hota hai to wo aap bech dijiye aur usko aap acche stocks quality stocks mein lagaiye quality stocks mein aapko 26% return saal ka milega criminal aur aapke paas 20 saal ke baad 15 crore ya kuch you know he came up with some big number i said acha So 26% return. I mean, so I mean, so so you know, normally uh, if if you look at, uh, so this was this was an outright uh, fraud. So uh, there is a simpler version of this fraud, wherein you have fund managers taking you know talking about the fact that uh, between 1979 and yeah. 2022 or whatever, Sensex has given 17% return per year or whatever 16%, mm. which it has. Mm. But the point is, a bulk of this return was before 1992. This yeah, no one okay, talks about. Okay, yeah. So if if you calculate yeah, from 1992, yeah, 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 if yeah, you calculate yeah. from 1992, the return uh, yeah. comes down to some 13 percent. Yeah. Or if you look at the Nifty TRI Total Return Index, which is I think the index one should look at because it takes even dividends Divis- into mm. account. Uh, so they have data starting from 30 June 1999, if I'm mm-hmm. if I remember okay. correctly. Uh, so the, the 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 return of that index uh, as of a few days back when i had calculated it was 13.6% 13.5% per year and at peak nifty tri it was some 14 point something so 26% per no, year no. nahi hota hai no so you have to be you know you have to be realistic and, about and just just to clarify 26% you would beat buffett hands down no you would beat anyone <laughs> and everyone yeah why why buffett you would yeah. be so as as the guy said and then mm-hmm. he went on to said ki agar aapka ghar 1.5 crore ka hai 1 and 1/2 crores huh. you will end up with 150 crores after 20 wow. years i mean Super. if it was as simple as that you know we would all be yeah we'd be all be millionaires you know, and billionaires okay so uh so your biggest concern uh is how this withdrawal of all this surplus money plays out what will happen then? what will happen then? because see here's the mm. thing you know if if it if they reverse yeah then uh, obviously then all these bubbles will start popping up all over again you know the market will go up crypto will go up yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, all these, uh, you know, VCs will be back. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I think that's the bull case, right? I, I, I've been tracking this relatively closely. That uh, the US has had one quarter of negative growth, assuming the numbers are not revised, and one more quarter is negative. Then you have a recession, recession. and the Fed may just pull back a so bit, here, so here, and suddenly you could have. So also, you know, what what has happened is that in 2020, mm-hmm. the governments have seen that when you put money. You know, the governments have seen and the citizens have seen that the governments are in a position to put money directly in their hands. So, there is a huge moral hazard Mm. at play here. Mm. So, how do you, so which is the thing, you know, which is why the entire forecasting business as of now is essentially useless. Because you really don't know how this is uh, going to play out. And as an individual, the only way to play this is asset allocation, where you have some money Whatever, you know, so which is, so if, if you know, at, at its most basic level, uh, if, if you do not want to use your brain at all, just to you know, spread it across equally. Yep. Uh, in fact, someone, both of us know, uh, Dr. Mark Faber. Yeah, he does that. Once told me, you know, mm-hmm. all you need to do is 25, 25, 25, 25, 25 in property, 25 in stocks, 25 in bullion and 25% in cash. And he said in his experience, and he's, I think he's probably got a 40 or track record or whatever. He said it works the best. So, yeah. So, with, I think that's the key message. Really get your allocation right. We are entering, we are still in the world of turbulence. We don't know how it's going to pan out. Uh, Vivek has explained all the, you know, challenges and, you know, opportunities we are dealing with. Uh, but the, the only solution, if you will, for you is to be sure you are allocating well. Forget the cocktail party talk. Etc. Etc. Just focus on your allocation and get that right. So uh, I want to conclude with a question which I think only you can answer. If you were to bump into Nirmala Sitaraman, what's the one question you'll ask her, or what's the one piece of advice you'll give her? Could be either. I think uh, what I would basically tell her is that uh, we really need to uh, one sort out our GST. Two, uh, we need to uh, have an environment where uh, the smaller firms are allowed to uh, become bigger because, you know, ultimately those are the Mm -hmm. companies that create jobs. That's right. Which is not happening. Smaller firms either are shutting down or they continue to be small. Yeah. India needs to invest more in their SMEs, if you will, in terms of the support infrastructure. In terms of how you file GST? Yeah. I mean, starting from yeah. there, yeah. you know, the 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 paperwork involved. I mean, I can tell you. I mean, I'm just a single person working for myself. I mean, the amount of paperwork is just uh, it's horrible. I mean, yeah. you know, that's something that we can we should work towards simplifying. And because you are uh, an economist, you think money. If you bumped into Shakti Kanta Das. What's the question or the advice you give him? I would just ignore him. (laughs) (laughs) So, on that note, uh, we bring this to a close. So, Vivek, thank you very much for spending time and decoding and sort of breaking down and helping us understand this whole world, what's happening. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to the Investor Hour. I'm very excited to hear what you have to say about this episode or the podcast in general. Be sure to write to me at info at equitymaster.com. That's I-N-F-O at equitymaster.com. 
Thank you once again and see you at the next edition of the Investor Hour. This was a Mint production brought to you by HD Smartcast. HD Smartcast.